Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Tech Disruptors by Bloomberg Intelligence. In this podcast series, we talk with CEOs and management teams about their views on disruption and how it's driving their decision-making and strategy. My name is Geeta Ranganathan. I'm a senior media analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence, and I am so thrilled to introduce our guest today, Rajiv Goyal, co-founder and CEO of Pubmatic, a leading sell-side digital ad technology company that allows publishers and content creators to better monetize their ad inventory. So with that, a big, big welcome to you, Rajiv. So just to kick things off, tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you to start Pubmatic. Great. Well, thank you, Geetha, and great to be with you and, and all the listeners. So yeah, let me tell you a little bit about myself and the story behind uh, the start of Pubmatic. So I'm born and raised in Silicon Valley, son of immigrants. So my parents came from India to the U.S. many years ago into Silicon Valley. They, they both are in tech. And so I think tech was kind of in my DNA, given that a lot of our dinnertime conversations were around disruption, technology, and, and changes in Silicon Valley. And so my brother and I, my brother's also a co-founder uh, at Pubmatic, uh, we actually started a company when we were in college, and uh, it was a golf e-commerce-based company, Sequoia-backed business. With this company, Pomatic, this is actually our, I think it's our third company together. We've done a, a number of startups. But after having done our first startup, we knew that, you know, the most exciting thing to do is to kind of work for yourself and build new products and build new capabilities. And so after the uh, 2001, 2002 crisis, dot-com crisis, uh, both of us went to work at bigger companies. I worked at SAP. You worked at Microsoft. And we were thinking about new ideas. To be honest, we were getting a little bit bored inside of, you know, these very large companies. And we came across the publisher monetization challenge, which is if you're a publisher, how do you make sure you're maximizing your revenue from digital ad inventory? And this is almost 15, 16 years ago. So the problem was a much more nascent problem at the time. But that's when we put our heads together and decided that there's a huge opportunity in this space and that we would start a software company focused really on the needs of publishers and how to help them monetize better. And I think the nice benefit of that is obviously as consumers, we all appreciate, you know, entertainment, journalism, sports, weather, you know, all of that type of information. And we generally kind of take it for granted that it's free, but obviously it costs a lot of money for publishers and the way they fund it is primarily through advertising. Got it. That was a great intro. So Rajiv, I read that the name of your company, Pubmatic, is actually a combination of publisher and uh, automatic or programmatic. So kind of with that in mind, just give us your thoughts on just the digital ad ecosystem in general, where you think we are in the evolution of programmatic and where Pubmatic is in the whole ad space. Yeah, absolutely. So that is correct on the name. It's publisher and, and automatic. So obviously as a software platform, we're really focused on how to automate and scale up monetization for publishers. And this is a very, I think, dynamic and exciting industry. So advertising globally is about a trillion dollars per year. And digital is about two thirds of that. And I think we would all expect that digital will become a higher share of, of advertising in the future. For instance, TV is the kind of biggest category that's moving from analog to digital with the advent of, you know, streaming content like Netflix and, and others. So there's a long runway to go, still a couple hundred billion dollars more of digitization of advertising to happen. And then within that, within digital, there's a, another specific sector called programmatic. 
and programmatic is the, the majority of digital. And programmatic is really the use of automation and data to drive optimal digital advertising outcomes. So for instance, in our platform, we process over half a trillion advertising impressions on a daily basis. So it's just a, a huge number of ad impressions. We see over a trillion and a half advertiser bids on a daily basis. Our platform generates about seven petabytes of data on a daily basis. So this is a, exactly what we talk about with programmatic or automation in the ecosystem. And then if we go a little bit deeper, you know, there's subcategories. You have mobile advertising, you have digital video, you have streaming, you have commerce or retail media. So this is uh, retailers getting into digital advertising. There's a lot of different kind of sub-segments, subcategories, many of which we participate in and a few that we don't, but it is a very dynamic and exciting industry. And so that for me is what makes it exciting on a daily basis, having done this now for 15 or 16 years. Perfect. So just to get into that a little bit deeper, Rajiv. So, you know, obviously header bidding was such an important development in the industry and your company, Pubmatic, has one of the leading header bidding solutions. What is it that makes your product better? And have there been any problems in general with the technology in terms of latency or compatibility? And how are you addressing that? Yeah, so I think what makes us unique is a couple of things. First of all, we own all of our own ad-serving infrastructure around the world. By infrastructure, I mean the networking equipment, the server hardware, as well as the software. And so we own tens of thousands of servers in a dozen data centers across Asia, US, and Europe. And that's a very, I guess, counter to prevailing wisdom approach, which Prevailing wisdom, of course, is to go to public cloud, right? Things like Amazon, AWS, or, or uh, Microsoft Azure. And the reason why we took a counterintuitive approach of owning our own infrastructure is in digital advertising, transactions have to be done in real time. So in about 150 milliseconds, and they generate a lot of data. Who's the consumer? What website or app is the consumer interacting with? What kind of content? And then the advertiser bids. And so we felt strongly that if we own the the infrastructure, we can generate better outcomes for our customers in terms of the speed of the transaction and our ability to do more things with the data. And as I'm sure many of the listeners know, the public cloud vendors, they have amazing margins, right? So Amazon publishes and they have 30 to 40% operating margins. And so we felt that we could not only generate better outcomes if we own the infrastructure, but we can also save a lot of money in the process. And that has very much turned out to be the case. So by owning our own infrastructure, we've been growing at about twice the rate of the market rate of growth for the last several years. So it's been a, a great benefit for our customers. And then we're also a very profitable company. Last year was our 10th consecutive year of profitability at adjusted EBITDA and ninth consecutive year of positive cash flow from operations. So owning our infra own infrastructure is one key aspect. And then the second is being global and third is being omni-channel. So global in the sense that we do business in several dozen countries. Many of our publisher customers, like a News Corp, we do business with from Australia to the US to Europe. And advertisers and agencies are also global in nature. So somebody like a, a Group M, which is part of WPP, or a Procter & Gamble. These are obviously global organizations and they need partners, platform providers that are global. And then third is being omni-channel. So omni-channel meaning we work on display ad units, video ad units, and we can do that across desktop devices, tablets, mobile devices, connected TV devices, 
really anywhere where the consumer is consuming content. And so this, you know, broad holistic platform approach where we control the full stack is a key differentiator in how we've been able to grow again at twice the rate of the market and to do so very profitably as well. Fabulous. So I want to come back to your comment on omni-channel, but before that, just a little bit more on, you know, the whole header bidding. And it, it seems that open bidding was kind of introduced a, as a response to header bidding, but it's had its fair share of troubles, right? It's been fairly controversial. So can you just educate us why so many DSPs want to shut it out and, and kind of where the, like where it's headed? What is the future for this? Sure. Yeah. So let's start with the genesis of header bidding. So header bidding is a technology that evolved about five or six years ago. It's an open source uh, technology framework. And what it allows a publisher to do, so, you know, somebody like an eBay or a Condé Nast, the publisher can work with multiple sell-side platforms in parallel and see who, which sell-side platform can monetize the impression best. And the reason this was important is that the vast majority of publishers historically have worked with Google. Google has a significant market share in our industry, but they wanted to work with other providers like Pubmatic, an independent technology provider, and, and of course there are others. And because Google has such significant market share, they do have significant amount of demand for publishers. But publishers also felt that Google was not transparent. Its marketplace, its auction format was um, opaque and that publishers could do better if they worked with multiple parties. And so that was really the advent of header bidding. We are big proponents of that. And the growth of header bidding has been a significant growth driver for Pubmatic. So in response to the open source header bidding movement, Google introduced its own quasi header bidding solution called open bidding. And the reason I say quasi is it sounds like it's header bidding, but in fact, if you kind of dig underneath the covers, it doesn't, does not have a lot of the attributes of the open source transparent header bidding uh, framework for the industry. And so over the last couple of years, as more of this, I think, became public, a number of the demand side platforms or the buyers in the ecosystem, they pulled back from buying via Google's open bidding. And then probably the listeners are well aware, but you know, just a month ago, the DOJ came public with a lawsuit against Google where there's a you know, very significant set of allegations around some of the harms that the DOJ believes uh, Google has been involved in. And so I think what that showed is that publishers and buyers alike are wary to be working with a, you know, opaque platform as opposed to independent technology providers. So you spoke about one of your key advantages, Rajiv, about having this omni-channel approach, and you kind of touched on different categories like mobile, video, retail. You know, for us kind of industry watchers, we keep hearing of this decline in social media advertising and kind of the emergence of retail and, and CTV as, as key growth areas. So kind of being an insider, I mean, what are your views? Do you think that an exposure to CTV and, and retail media is absolutely necessary in order to kind of succeed in, in the digital ad tech space? I would say war happening between the walled gardens on the one hand and the open internet on the other. And let me just briefly define those terms. So walled gardens are platforms that are closed ecosystems. You give them your money, you tell them what kind of outcome you're looking to achieve as an advertiser, and then they control what media gets bought. They don't share any data back. You get your outcome and you're, you know, if you're happy, then you, you renew. 
The open internet, in contrast, is all about publishers that are open, that make inventory available. Advertisers can bid on and buy that inventory. They can see where their ads ran. They can understand the outcomes. They have data portability, so they can bring their data into the open internet ecosystem. They can take their data out. So it's a much more open approach to digital advertising. Some of the examples of, you know, walled gardens are, you know, some of the biggest social media companies out there like YouTube, Google more broadly, Meta and Facebook, Snapchat. So they're all operating their own walled gardens. And then in the open internet, you have a lot of the publishers that we all love and know, including Bloomberg, but, you know, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Condé Nast, Hearst, eBay, there's tens of thousands of, uh, of publishers. So over the last roughly two years, there's been a significant shift in the market where the open internet category is growing at a faster rate than the walled garden category. And that is a shift compared to, let's say, the previous roughly decade or so. And so this is a big dynamic in the industry. And I think what's happening is that an open ecosystem, as it often does, is winning out against the closed walled gardens. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one is the open internet has great professionally created content, whereas the walled gardens, key characteristic of them is user-generated content. And so advertisers much prefer the professional content of the open internet. You know, if your ad is next to Bloomberg content or NBC versus if it's next to, you know, somebody's thoughts on a political ad, right, user-generated content, the professional content is much more alluring for the advertiser. And then the second is that with the advent of retail media and CTV, you have a logged in user base. You know, when you use Netflix or you use Disney Plus or you're on a e-commerce website, typically you are logged in. And so the, the advertiser knows a bit more about the consumer in order to deliver a relevant ad. And that logged in scenario historically has been very common to the walled gardens. You know, we all log into Facebook, Meta, you know, Snap, Google services but have not been doing that in the open internet. So now that the open internet has logged in users and it has professionally created content, it's gaining significant share in terms of digital advertising budgets. And I think that's a secular shift that's going to play out over the next uh, 10 to 20 years. And, you know, yes, we hear about the secular shift constantly. You know, we, we look a lot into streaming and TV advertising, and, and we constantly hear about the secular shift into CTV. I just wanted to dig a little bit deeper into that. So in general, the idea of programmatic and biddable inventory has not really been embraced, I think, so far by the TV industry. So first of all, I mean, what are your views there? How much of current CTV is programmatic and how do you see programmatic actually improving ad yield? You know, has header bidding kind of really broken into OTT in a big way? Yeah, so there's a, a common maturity cycle that happens. And I think you're absolutely right that we're in the very early stages of programmatic penetration of connected TV and streaming inventory. And that's a normal pattern. We've seen this pattern play out across display, mobile web, mobile app, online video, which is more short form content, like a two minute sports or news clip and a, and a video that's placed there. All of these markets started out non-programmatic and then shifted to majority or, or predominantly programmatic over the course of five to seven years. And we're, we're seeing the same thing in CTV. So my, my own estimation is that over 90% of CTV advertising transactions are not programmatic today. So they're insertion order based, which is a manual way to, to buy and sell ad inventory. 
but it's rapidly moving towards programmatic. And usually a period of economic uncertainty, like I think we are in now, is a significant accelerant towards programmatic. And the reason is that programmatic advertising is ultimately better in that it uses data and it uses automation. And so a more relevant ad can be delivered to the consumer, which is good for the consumer. It also means higher ROI for the advertiser. And so the advertiser is willing to pay more. And when that advertiser pays more then the publisher, the content owner, will generate more revenue. So it's ultimately a, a net positive for everybody in the ecosystem. And then second, by using automation, we're able to remove a lot of the manual costs of doing business, right? So just like, you know, when you go uh, to the airport, there's a kiosk now instead of a person to check you in. When you can apply that in the very large digital, digital advertising industry, it leads to a lot of cost savings and, and increased profitability for everybody. But it is a change in behavior. So we're talking about here legacy TV companies that have been around for 50, 60, 70 years. And so obviously changing behavior inside of those organizations takes time and, and uh, doesn't happen overnight. But again, a, an unsettled economic environment like we're in now typically causes advertisers to say, hey, I really need to justify the ad spend in my marketing budget. So I need more accountability. I need more ROI metrics. I need better data to show that, okay, if I spend 50 million on TV advertising, that the ROI is there. And so the best way to do it is to buy programmatically. And so we already see, you know, we're two months into 2023, but we already see a significant shift in terms of buyers leaning in towards programmatic advertising. So it will take a couple of years, but we'll, we see this transition happening in CTV just like we've seen it in, in every other ad format. That makes sense. So just, you know, shifting gears a little bit and kind of just given all this current hype about, you know, chat GPT and AI, just wanted to get your thoughts on how your company has, has leveraged AI so far and how should, you know, ad tech companies in general be thinking about AI? Yeah, so chat GPT, I think, is the next frontier, the newest flavor in terms of AI, where it's about generative AI, meaning creating content, right? And whether it's images or, or written or, or spoken content. Now, there's a whole nother branch of AI and machine learning that's been used in ad tech for probably the better part of a decade, which is more on the transactional side, meaning ad transactions. And that has to do with pricing those transactions, predicting auction outcomes, you know, those types of things that are definitely not generative or content-based, but instead are all about, you know, how do we deliver a more relevant ad to the consumer and price it appropriately? And so Pumatic has been very deep in that branch of AI for seven to 10 years now. We have a number of data scientists, machine learning engineers on staff, um, and we're constantly tuning our auction platform. You know, we talked about some of the metrics already, but half a trillion advertiser, or sorry, half a trillion publisher impressions per day roughly a trillion and a half advertiser bids. So small changes in understanding the data and tweaking algorithms can lead to, you know, significant outcome differentials. So we have a big focus on that. I think in the generative AI space, we're just getting going in terms of how publishers might use tools like ChatGPT to create content, to create images, to determine which content to surface to which consumers. So I think there's a, a huge amount of upside and we're still very early in that process. 
so, you know, just wanted to also quickly touch on privacy and identity concerns. Obviously, this is some of, you know, one of the biggest topics, I think, right now in the digital ad space. So kind of just wanted to get your thoughts on how you're, you know, helping publishers approach addressability and what you think needs to be done collectively in the digital ad ecosystem, you know, to kind of address these concerns. Yeah, so there's a big shift underway around consumer privacy and, and addressability. And in particular, I think two things are happening. Number one is consumers are much more aware about how their data may be used in the process of digital advertising to deliver a, a relevant ad to them. And I think that awareness was not there, you know, maybe five, seven years ago. And then I think second is that we and others in the industry are putting the consumer at the center of that decision-making process. So really educating the consumer, but then also asking them, are you comfortable with your data being used? Here are the trade-offs. Here's why there are upsides to it. And then here are you know things that you need to also be aware of and, and manage closely. So this is, I think, a very important shift because at the end of the day, content consumption, digital advertising, I think has to put the consumer at the center and gives the consumer a significant degree of control over you know, how much of their information is being used and, and in what ways. Um, and if the consumer is comfortable with it and there is a, a trade there between free content and sharing information, then great. And if they're not comfortable with it, then you know we need to also respect that. So from a pomatic perspective, what we've been very focused on is providing tools and transparency to consumers so they can opt in or they can opt out. They can decide what type of information they're comfortable sharing and making sure that they're making you know educated uh, decisions in that process. And so that's, I think, very much in line with the regulations that we see, you know, starting more so in Europe than in the U.S., but really applying significant parts of the European regulatory framework, which I think is out ahead of the U.S., into the U.S. environment as well, either in anticipation of it coming or just knowing that it's the right thing to do for the consumer. And then, you know, to to kind of wrap up here, just wanted to talk about the industry in general. So we've seen, you know, the recent closure of multiple SSPs. So how important do you think is differentiation and innovation to survive? I mean, this is a very competitive space, the digital ad tech space. And how do you think Pubmatic is positioned uh, right now? Yeah, I think there's a couple of key ingredients to building a successful business. So differentiation certainly is one of them. Innovation in our category is critically important. It's a fast moving industry. And so we're constantly pushing ourselves from an innovation perspective. But then the third, which I think is really coming to the fore across all of tech in the last uh, year, is having a sound business model, meaning a business model that is profitable and you know, generates uh, cash flow. Because if you have differentiation and innovation, but you don't have a sound financial foundation, then you probably won't be around for very long, you know, to continue to invest in that uh, differentiation and innovation. And so in our case, you know, when we went public, we had raised, uh, we went public in December of 2020, so a little over two years ago. We had only raised $50 million in venture capital money at the time of the IPO. And that's a small amount. You know, a year ago, a Series A round was probably in the 25 to $50 million range let alone a you know, company that's later stage and, and ready to go public. And so we, you know, we have always really focused on driving growth, but also having a strong financial basis to continue to invest in our team and, and capabilities for our customers. So I think in this economic environment, we see a couple of SSPs that are closing. 
you know, Yahoo announced the closure of their cell site platform. Another company, EMX Digital, also shut down. And so we're seeing a natural consolidation where I think the leaders in the industry, the strongest players, companies like us, should increase market share based on some of these closures and based on our ability to continue to uh, to invest in innovation and new capabilities for our customers. So while you know, there's a couple of headlines of a, a couple of companies closing, I think that the strong like Pomatic will continue to get stronger. You know, we've grown our share to about four to four and a half percent of the market, which is up a couple percentage points from several years ago. And we've stated a goal to grow to 20% market share. And so we think we're moving on the right track to, to do exactly that. Oh, that's that's fantastic, Rajiv. You know, that kind of brings us to the end of our discussion. This, this was a great conversation. Uh, it was very, very informative. So thank you so, so much for taking the time to join us today. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for listening and keep checking Tech Disruptors for more exciting episodes. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed it. Thank you.